Clutch the Pearls I had imagined that earning a great amount of wealth, as my grandfather had, would be a very satisfying event. I had even faux lamented on more than one occasion that my grandfather's success had essentially robbed me of that very satisfying achievement. Naturally, I was careful to lament this only in the company of others in my same situation, where there was an unspoken agreement barring unsolicited practical solutions like, don't use your trust fund, go do it on your own. I was a million miles away from that kid, sitting with my new friends, pride and satisfaction in my old office as I had just earned, by myself, a great amount of wealth. Chances are I wouldn't have considered $6 million a great amount of wealth as a kid, but then again, my head was three feet up my ass. And just so you know, it's hard to keep things in perspective with your head three feet up your ass. In the real world, to real people, $6 million was a tremendous amount of money, especially when you actually had to earn it yourself. I picked up the receiver and punched the flashing line for the last time. This is Parker Duke. Parker? A sad-sounding voice broke the silence. Yes, it was definitely my Philip. I instantly regretted taking the call. Good moods always had a tendency of getting me in trouble. It's Philip. I used to clean your house. Philip! I hesitated, probably too long. How are you? How is Benny? I wondered if their combined weight was still over 600 pounds. Hey, I'm glad you called. I swear I was going to call you guys about that necklace. We broke up, he interrupted. I could hear his voice crack. Philip and Benny cleaned our house until my wife's favorite pearl necklace went missing. Lethen, he said. I was wondering if I could come over and get some weed from you. Philip? Yes? I instinctively looked to make sure my office door was closed, but smiled when I realized it no longer mattered. I buy my weed from you, or at least I used to. Duh, that's why I'm calling you. Philip, I don't sell pot. I buy pot. I haven't smoked it for months now. Remember, we started drug testing at work. You own the company. Why are you taking drug tests? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. He giggled. Drug testing yourself. I don't have the money to buy it, silly goose. I was hoping that you would just give me a little bit. I don't need much, just enough to get me through the weekend, like a half ounce. I couldn't help but laugh. A half ounce? Are you sure a half ounce is going to be enough to get you through the weekend? There was no response, and I can't stand silence in a conversation. It's a weakness of mine. I was just kidding, Philip. That's a shitload of weed for two days. I'm not sure I've ever had that much at one time. No reply. Nothing at all. I waited. The silence was killing me. Philip, a half ounce would last me a year. Still no response. Only the audible sound of what I'd guess was a quivering lower lip. More silence. I couldn't take it. I actually have no idea how much I have left. But I'm sure I've got enough to get you through lunch. Listen. I'm sorry about you and Benny. Are you? Yay! Can I come over now? He asked before I could even show faux concern for his breakup. I looked at my watch. It was 4.05. I really didn't want him coming to our house. I'm at work, but I could... Wonderful. I'll meet you at your house. He interrupted and hung up. I called him back. Philip, you hung up? He interrupted again. 
How did you get my number? Did Benny give it to you, that insufferable little nipple tweaker? Philip, I can meet you. I just wanted to tell you it's very important that we meet in the alley. Margot is home, and she'll go nuts if she sees you. And by the way, that cunt. Philip, that's my wife. If I remember correctly, you were the one asking me for a favor. It didn't surprise me. I knew he wasn't fond of Margot. As long as I'd known Philip, he'd never been scared to burn a bridge or a six-unit apartment building if you got him mad enough. I was going to say, I know you didn't take Margot's necklace. Well, Philip paused. Benny took it, but I have it. I took it from him. You don't want it back, though. Trust me. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. I was convinced they were innocent, and my wife was just really dumb. Margot was right the whole time, but unfortunately still really dumb. Benny, my ass, I'd bet my last dollar it was big gross Philip with his dirty, stubby little fingers. What kind of cleaning person has dirty hands anyway? What? I shouted into the phone collecting myself as Rose gave me a concerned look through the glass wall of my office. Oh, I want it back. Bring it or I'm calling the police. Ethy Tiger, trust me. You don't want it back. You don't know where that thing's been, if you know what I mean. Don't be a dick, Parker. I'll see you at your house. And he hung up again. Son of a bitch, I gasped as I punched the redial button. No answer. On the way home, I had to pull over and regain my composure after I realized what Philip and Benny had done with my wife's expensive pearl necklace. After the necklace had gone missing, I'd had a conversation with Margot about why she thought they would take it, because it made no sense to me. What would two old, dirty hippies want with a pearl necklace? They put them up to their rear. What? You heard me. When you say rear, do you mean their butthole? Do you have to make everything gross? I'm making this gross. I'm just trying to understand. They put them in their rear end, and then when they're about to orgasm, they yank them out. Margot threw up her hands. My pearls are probably in Philip's rear end this very minute. Hold on. Gay guys do this? Anal beads? Gay and straight people use them. It's not as big a deal as you're making it. How square are you? Do you really want to talk about this? You look like you're going to throw up, honey. She said, wisely stepping out of my known vomit range. I'm sorry, I apologized as I hurled. After a little cleanup, there was a mutual understanding about both our back doors being off limits, but we disagreed on how to treat the disappearing necklace. The next day, without telling me, Margot fired my weed dealers. Now we have a cleaning service that costs twice as much as Philip and Benny, and I have yet to find a new source for weed. The worst part was Margot was right all along, about the theft and probably about the purpose. Philip was right, too. I really didn't want the pearl necklace back. My house has a garage in the back that's accessed from a narrow alley shared with neighbors. There's an office above the garage, and my friends and I call it the barn. Anytime there's a guy's night, we usually end up smoking bongs and shooting shit in the barn. As I drove up, I could see Philip's beater in the driveway, right next to my wife's car, in my spot. Needless to say, in any alley situation, parking is at a premium, and Philip knew this alley and this dynamic. 
I pulled up behind him and whisper shouted, Hey, Philip. I waited, my engine still running. Hey, Philip. Still no answer. Not even a slight movement. Philip. Philip. I couldn't honk because I didn't want Margot to hear me and see Philip. She'd go apeshit. Philip. I screamed one more time under my breath. I could see the giant hairy klepto hippie sleeping in his front seat. A piece of burning incense was scotch-taped to his sun-damaged dashboard, sending up a rope of dirty gray smoke that disappeared as it rose through the air. Doesn't he know that when you go to someone's house, you don't park in their spot? Halfway through the unenviable task of parallel parking my car in the narrow alley, I heard the sickening crunch of a telephone pole going coital with my passenger's side door. Normally, I'd lose my mind over something like this, but this was the best fucking day of my life. This was a good excuse to treat myself to a new car, although now I was confident I'd get screwed on my trade-in value. Optimism was new to me and fit like a pair of tight pants I was anxious to take off. Philip! Philip and his ponytail jumped awake as I poked him in his shoulder. It felt and shook like jello. You're in my spot. I'm your guest, he said, rubbing his massive shoulder. That hurt. I bruise easily, see? He pulled up a leg of his cut-off sweatshorts to expose a purple, yellow, and brown bruise the size of a basketball on his hairy inner thigh. The bruise was pretty gross, but it looked like a flower compared to the big hairy nutsack that dropped into the picture as he was letting his shorts back down. Did he have eczema on his balls? Is that a thing? As the thought grabbed me, I hurled all over the driveway. I have a vomiting problem. I throw up when I'm grossed out. It happens to me more than I'd like. Although these days, if properly warned, I can control it for the most part, or at least reduce it to dry heaves. Dry heaves are still unpleasant and terribly antisocial, but they're quite a bit better than having barf come out your nose. The problem is exacerbated by my vivid imagination. If you tell me a story where Philip's twin sister is feeling sexy in a hidden location far away with several dozen unicorns frolicking in the mist all around her, I will, without fail, have Philip's gross twin sister in my mind right in front of me flicking her minnow. No frolicking unicorns, no mist, just the least desirable part of the story right there in the front in high definition. I looked at Philip after I wiped my mouth and thought, this is the guy that used to fold the ends of our toilet paper rolls into little triangles. Oh, I see you're still throwing up, he laughed as he got out of the car and pushed the throw up off the driveway into the grass with his flip-flop foot. Please don't, I begged him to stop. You've been so aggro towards me, Parker, I don't appreciate it, not one bit. I'm trying to help you. Jeez, what did you have for lunch? Philip inspected another barf chunk before he pushed it off the driveway. I begged him again, please stop. I'm going to throw up if you keep doing that. I told you Benny took the necklace, not me. Don't be a dick to me. Or could it be Margot? She isn't putting out, is she? No, not really, I thought. Philip, I knew it. I knew she was that high-maintenance, no-reward type when I met her. Just like Benny, that insufferable little sausage smuggler. This was the first good news I'd heard from Philip, that he and Betty didn't have a lot of sex. Listen, I snapped, this dick is giving you weed, so stop with the talk about my wife. Do you understand me? He recoiled, and at once I felt terrible, because Philip really was all bark and no bite. Look, 
I'm trying not to lose my temper, but you're the one being the jerk. That's my wife. You can't just call her names like that. You can't be pissed because she fired you. You stole her necklace. That's beside the point, his hands on his hips, tears forming in his eyes. She took you away from us. What? I didn't like where this was head, and I really didn't want to have to touch Philip, whether it was a hug or even a pat on the shoulder. Okay, that's kind of creepy, Philip. We never hung out. How did she take you away from me? You were our best customer, our favorite. Both Benny and I agreed on that. The tears in his eyes were real and getting more pronounced. He sniffed dramatically. That little big-faced fuck toy. I'm sorry you and Benny broke up. I really am, Philip. Let's go and get you taken care of. I circled well around the big man, careful not to touch him, and walked up the steps to the upstairs portion of my garage, unlocking the door. Philip was right behind me as I went over to the bookshelf and pulled a faded shoebox off the top shelf. Before I could open up, Philip sobbed. Benny just loved your bong. He said it was perfect. That horse-dicked donkey fluffer. Thanks. I got it in Berkeley from a sidewalk vendor. And then it struck me. Wait. How did you know I had a bong in there? Sugar booger. That cum-belching road whore and I have been smoking out of that bong once a week for the past five years. Here? I felt violated. That's one of the reasons we liked you so much. You have such a great setup and the nicest bong in town. While he spoke, he was half-exploring, half-picking remnants of a gigantic cold-sore scab, partially hidden by his sparsely whiskered goatee. I looked at the gigantic cold-sore, and then at the rim of the bong, my bong, which we had apparently been sharing for the last five years. I thought I could see little herpes germs dancing like whirling dervishes around the glass orifice. I'm never touching that bong again. I pulled the Tupperware container of weed out of the box. How did you get in here, I asked, exasperated but still curious. Philly boy, I have a key. We made one from the vet you keep in the kitchen. Well, I mean, Benny made one, that ath-munching muppet fucker. Philip, I referred you to my friends. Are you doing this to them? Benny did it, not me, he said indignantly. Is this it? He held up what was left of the bag I'd bought from him three months ago. It's even less, I said as I put half of it into a folded piece of paper. Give me the key, Philip. I know you have it. I'm not buying this Benny crap. He looked at me half amused, like I'd just come up short on a math problem he'd already solved. He shook his head like a petulant, unkempt, 300-pound older brother would. If I give you the key back, then how am I going to smoke this? He made an exaggerated game show gesture toward the weed he'd once sold me that I was giving back to him for free. I didn't say anything. I looked down at the bong, felt a phantom tingle in the corner of my mouth. I turned around, put the lid on the shoebox, and handed it to him. Are you serious? You can't possibly be serious. It's yours to keep, Philip, I said, staring hard at his gigantic cold sore to solidify the resolve it takes to give away, arguably, the nicest bong in town. He was genuinely moved, and why not? It was a hell of a run. Philip had trespassed my home office, soiled my bong, burgled my wife's expensive jewelry to stick up his or Benny's rear end, and I was giving him most of my weed and my only bong. It looked like he was going to cry, and I was paralyzed with fear that he was going to give me a hug. I don't like to hug or touch 
regular people, let alone strangers or gross people, and Philip was both very strange and very gross. Philip put the shoebox down, pulled the bong out, kissed it, and carefully set it back in. Well, I can tell you one thing. Tears were forming in both eyes as he violent pulled me into his mass without warning, hugging me tight. That's the nicest gift I've ever been given. Horrified I was being swallowed up, I let my body go limp. I didn't want to touch any more of Philip's back than I had to, and I certainly didn't want to communicate any desire for the hug to continue. Midway through the squeeze part of the hug, I winced and patted what felt to be several rows of side fat. Every guy knows. This pat signifies, okay, the hug's over, let's release. But Philip didn't let go. He just squeezed me harder. Round two. To be fair, it was a great bong. I was not, however, going to touch those fat rolls again to perform a follow-up pat because, you know, I can't imagine those rolls ever get a thorough washing. People like me who have vivid imaginations and throw up easily live in a dangerous place because we can't always control what we're thinking about. This situation was no different. Any pragmatist will tell you there's no way Philip is getting his arms back there to lift and scrub in between those fat rolls, even if he wanted to. As I was trapped in this post-breakup bong-gifting hug, my mind wandered. I wondered if Benny ever washed under Philip's back fat rolls in the shower. It seemed practical, but then again, it also seemed disgusting. And I was wondering if that was the reason Benny left Philip. I could be completely wrong, though. Benny was fat, too, so there must have been some kind of awkward back fat roll-washing reciprocity that, if anything, might have served to keep them together. It occurred to me that I had little understanding of what Philip must be going through. When he looked at potential new boyfriends, in addition to the regular attributes he sought out, he had the difficult question of, will they be okay washing my hard-to-reach regions? Even though it sounds mean, I'm not trying to be mean, and I think if you saw Philip, you wouldn't want to touch him either, let alone be held in an extended embrace. Please let me go. Please let me go. I felt grateful I was wearing a long sleeve button-down shirt so our skin never touched. I could smell Philip's body odor and perhaps a hint of patchouli, that or the incense he was burning in his car. After he released me, Philip said, Hold on, and raced, like only a larger hippie could, out the door. I heard my wooden stairs cry under his weight and enthusiasm. What was he doing now? Within a minute, the stairs cried out again, and he was back in the doorway, holding a small Tiffany & Company box like someone scared of afterbirth might deliver a baby. He threw the familiar little baby blue box on the table, took a familiar-shaped key off his keychain, and set it next to the box. He pointed to the box. I rinsed it off, but you probably should clean it yourself or have it cleaned professionally. Personally, knowing what it's been through and how many times it's been through it, I would have it cleaned professionally. I would pay them to clean it really, really well, too. How funny is that? <laughs> I'm a cleaning professional, and I'm telling you to have it cleaned professionally. <sighs> he shrieked an impossibly happy laugh. Anywho, I wasn't going to give it to you, but since you're being so nice, he looked at my bong, and I looked at my bong. I felt sad at first, but then I looked at the gigantic cold sore peeking out from under a dry scab in his goatee, and I was happy to never touch it again. Well, thank you for giving us our pearls back. 
Grab that bong and go do your thing. Everything else will fall into place. You're going to be great. Trust me. I didn't mean any of it. I just wanted him to leave. Oh, Parker Duke, you are a sweet man, Philip said as he packed my bong and my weed back in the box with the same enthusiasm and passion I was using to avoid touching his back fat again. Goodbye. And thank you, sweetie. Thank you, he said again as he tucked the box under his meaty arm and walked out without looking back. Goodbye, Philip, I said as much to myself as to him. I looked at the baby blue Tiffany and Company box sitting on the table. I didn't know what to do. I rinsed it off. My first instinct was to smell it to confirm my worst fears, but then I thought better of it. It was the equivalent of touching high voltage wires to see if the power was on. I had a pretty good feeling rinsing off the necklace might not be enough to take the smell or the E. coli off. I sure as hell wasn't going to touch it. If I had a nuclear hazard warning sticker, I would have sealed the box with it. I took a piece of paper out of my printer and used it as a buffer to open the box. The necklace looked fine. I could get it professionally cleaned seven or eight times, then place it in a strategic place where Margot could find it herself. Regardless, I'd deal with it later. You know what you can't stop? Progress.